Sometimes when you're driving down the road all by yourself, you begin to hear a voice that tells you you need to look around, pay attention. Maybe something isn't quite right. That voice is me. It's the voice of Gord. G'day everybody, time to get ready for another episode of Voice of Gord. Happy Friday wherever you are. Today is February the 2nd, 2024. Quick little intro here for you, just because this is the second installment in my little series on the second anniversary of the Freedom Convoy. And today's guest is Mr. Chris Big Red Barber, one of the faces of the convoy who you would have seen his TikTok videos and more recently, you probably saw him in the news because him and Tamara Litch and a whole bunch of other people are still trying to fight off the government. Their court cases are still slogging through the system because Justin Trudeau is a see you next Tuesday. All right, now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> hope you're all doing well. Uh, check the show notes for places where you can donate if you feel like you want to help out assisting those being persecuted by the government in Canada for standing up for your freedoms. There should be links there to the Canadian Democracy Fund, JCCF, and my own Give, Send, Go for the Coots 4 guys. Um, that one stands at about thirty-two grand as of today. You know, the government's got real deep pockets and we don't, so every dollar counts and uh, everyone appreciates what whatever you can afford to give. It really does help. And, you know, another way to help is just be aware. Be aware that this is happening. Be aware that in a modern Western nation state, the government continues to fight people for peacefully protesting. The government continues to imprison people for peacefully protesting while claiming that they're guilty of the most ridiculous, heinous charges of which there is little in the way of evidence. So, yeah, just keep all that stuff in mind. Share this podcast, share all my work at autonomoustruckers.substack.com. I'm going to have some more writing coming out here for you soon. I also have a few more guests lined up uh, with regards to Freedom Convoy and many other topics. So look for that here in the coming weeks. I'm probably going to be appearing on a few other shows as well. And like I say, we, we need to get the word out about what's happening in Canada because it's pretty slippery slope to totalitarianism, especially under the regime of Justin Trudeau and with an opposition like the Conservatives who are, shall we put it, worse than useless. All right, I'll give a little shout out to my friends down in Australia and the Australian On The Road Radio Network. G'day mates, how's it going? And anyone else listening anywhere around the world, thank you so much for tuning in. And without any further delay, let's get to Mr. Chris, Big Red Barber. Uh, g'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. Uh, I'm Gord, and this is my voice. The other voice you're about to hear today, um, this gentleman doesn't really require any introduction, especially if you live in Canada. Um, very special guest. I'm honored that he's here. Uh, I'll save you any further delay. Um, Mr. Chris Big Red Barber, uh, one of the big cheeses behind the Freedom Convoy in Canada. Welcome to the show, sir. 
Thanks for having me, Gord. Appreciate you being here. Right. And I'm finding you at home in Saskatchewan. Yes, in a bitterly cold Saskatchewan morning here. I think she was minus 54 with the wind chill this morning in balmy Saskatchewan. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, yeah, I haven't uh I haven't felt temperatures like that since I was in the Northwest Territories. Perhaps we should keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a pretty good fall. Like it's been fall here through Christmas. We had a brown Christmas, uh, no snow on the ground, and then we just got we just got hit with the with the Arctic air and it went drastically cold now. So we're Alberta's losing uh the grid for electricity right now because of course you're dependent on solar and wind and when there is no <laughs> yeah i i live in upstate new york now and uh i think this morning it was about 14 15 below celsius Ooh, um, yeah i mean you know we same thing here uh winter was a little bit delayed uh we got better part of a foot of snow last weekend and then it rained and melted and then it got cold so is that climate change or what is that <laughs> uh, i don't Can't know. keep up with this stuff anymore Oh, it's a, it's you you got enough on your plate to keep up with with Freedom Convoy, sir, and the uh, continuing persecution that you and Tamara Litch and so many other people are facing. Yeah, seven hundred days yesterday for the four men in the in the coots with the coots protest, where they've been locked up in Alberta jails, federal charges, and uh, just locked up and thrown away the key without a trial, without a bail hearing. Without anything uh, for four men that are accused of uh, conspiracy. Yeah, the um, the government, of course, threw these extremely serious charges at them the day after they arrested them, and the day after the Emergencies Act was invoked. Uh, what what a, what a what a coincidence! Uh, I've been covering that a bit. I wrote a couple articles for those guys in Newsweek. I've been in regular contact with them and their advocates in Alberta. I just spoke with Harold Jonker. Oh, yeah. from Smithville, Ontario, who's also facing similar charges to you and Tamara. Yep. Um, Harold goes to trial in September, I believe, is when his date is. We'll so, probably still be in Ottawa under our own trial when Harold starts his trial, the way things are going the last while. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, as they say, process is the punishment. And I recently wrote this fairly lengthy essay about um, the practice of lawfare coming to Canada, where... Um, the government having very little in the way of evidence or options to persecute its enemies fairly or legally uh, employs the legal system to do it via process um, to break their enemies, uh, both financially, spiritually, emotionally, and in, in the minds of those who don't know any better. And I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that's what's going on here with you and everyone else. Well, I don't know if many people know this or not, but our trial for Tamara Lich and I, we are co-accused. Um, I'm charged with seven indictable offenses. Four of those are counseling charges, so three of them would be mischief, uh, going against a court order, and intimidation of a peace officer. Um, and then there's four counseling charges on top of that. So Tamara's got six indictable offenses. Three of those would be counseling, and she's limited with the mischief, the going against a police order, and um, intimidation of a peace officer. And so our trial started September 5th of 2023. Uh, we've been in trial now for, well, this will be the fifth month, I guess. We've had a total of 32 days in court. We watched the range of, it, it's basically social media is what they've used as evidence against us. And it's an entirety. 
Um, we're now booking more court dates into March. Uh, I need to let some people know that, I guess, that we're, we're actually, we're now booked into March and that will be another three days of court. And we're still, of course, looking for about another eight in total. So we're going to have to find five more days somewhere after that, which means we, we could be into like fall before we, we hit the end of this or get a, a decision from the judge. So, Right. And, and the fact it's going so long, I want to give the state the benefit of the doubt here uh, a little bit like how much of this is just due to the court system being like totally backed up with other cases that are also moving slower than cold molasses well there's a lot of that they're having a hard time finding dates because anyone that's been gone through the process already that was arrested at the the protest for either windsor or uh, or ottawa or or coots if they're acquitted of all their charges of their mistress charges the crown prosecutor's appealing all those charges so Essentially, they're tying themselves up right now horribly. There's a young lady named Christine that uh, was, uh, uh, she's acquitted of all her charges. I believe that she had three three charges for mischief. Um, she was in Ottawa for the protest. She didn't have a vehicle. She didn't have a sign. She didn't have anything. She was just there on foot protesting, standing there doing her democratic right. Arrested, charged, acquitted of all charges. And now the Crown is now appealing that, that, uh, those, those, that appeal or the acquittal. And she's, you know, having to come up with another ten to fifteen thousand dollars in legal fees to get her through this challenge now too. So I've taken it upon myself to start helping her with that. My lawyer Diane Magus in Ottawa is going to take her case up, has already taken her case up, and is uh, filing to to have you know for more defense. So, wow, that's incredible. So how 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 is it they're getting away with this? I I recently contacted. There's another Substack. There's somebody who's covering some of these trials and uh, inquired as to, you know, if, if they were able to pick up on the Crown's rationale behind appealing these acquittals. I mean, obviously to us, they're just being vindictive bastards that don't want to let it go. But like, I would I would actually like to hear what the Crown's rationale behind this is, such as they have one. You know, I, I yeah. I me too. We're going to file, I'll be filing some uh, access to information acts here shortly to find out what exactly or who it was to put the charges out. What, what, what was, you know, you're allowed to do that. We can file that access for information. Uh, I'd like to find a little bit more detail of what went in behind the scenes. I'd like to also point out in Windsor, Ontario for the, the border crossing um, blockade there that they are the, the protest, let's call it the protest. Um, there was two people let off rape charges a few months ago. Um, these people were charged with rape and because the crown couldn't proceed to, with, uh, with proper trial and an adequate amount of time, they were, uh, they were released on the Jordan application in Canada, which means undo not enough time to try them properly. So two people charged with rape got let go because the crown was more focused on protesters trials than, than rape charges. Wow. This is truly Soviet star chamber show trial nonsense if they're choosing to pursue pro peaceful protesters rather than actual legitimate criminals. Right. So before we get any further into the legal weeds here, my show is sort of pretty popular in the U S that's where most of my, um, that's where most of my listeners are. I'm also syndicated on a internet radio show down in Australia. So I have pretty international crowd. I have a nice. bunch of listeners in the UK and Germany. For those folks who, uh, unlike myself and some others, may have not followed the Freedom Convoy as intently as I did, being Canadian and a trucker, and, you know, these are my people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, can you give a brief rundown of how it all started? Because I believe yourself, Tamara, uh, Bridget Belton, and some other folks were sort of the nebulous, you know, decentralized core, so to speak, if that makes any sense, of how this all got rolling. Well, obviously, what would have been October 2021, um, the mandates were crushing the majority of Canadians in one way or the other. Um, the federal government had announced that in January 15th of 2022, that they were going to bring in uh, vaccine requirements for cross-border travel. And uh, a lot of us, the truckers that have been, you know, we've been in the industry for, for many years and through the pandemic, we trucked through the pandemic. And a lot of us stood in drive through lineups getting food because no restaurants would open. You couldn't even walk into McDonald's and order a meal. So you'd be standing there with traffic in the drive through lineup, just trying to get a bite to eat wherever it may have been. And you were and- treated like lepers by many of your customers. I know a lot yeah. of guys who haul freight, haul refrigerated. They would show up at distribution centers and warehouses and factories and whatnot. And they would be told, stay in your truck. Don't even give us the paperwork. Just back up to this door. And like, don't come in here, no bathroom, no nothing. Just stay in your truck and we'll get you when we get you. And then you leave after making your delivery to help keep the economy going. And a bunch of states closed rest areas. You couldn't park to sleep, couldn't use the bathroom. Truck stops were closed everywhere. And truckers worked through all of this to keep everything going. And then the people who decided to punish us got to stay home and hide behind their laptops while we kept working. Exactly. Yeah, so much for the for, and so much for the private sector too. You've got places like Walmart, Home Depot, all these big corporations who kept their doors open where you could put two hundred people in the same building together as long as you wore your mask and you kept six feet apart. But hey, mom and pop business with the little restaurant or the little little uh, little boutique shop downtown closed. Now the federal government too then offered the money. You know what was the deal in Canada? We were allowed a sixty thousand dollar loan per se. But in two years, you had to pay back $40,000 of that $60,000 and you could keep $20,000. Well, guess what? The deadline, I believe, is tomorrow to have that money paid back. And the majority of Canadians can't afford to pay that money back because the economy is still struggling and people are still financially broke right now because of the effects of the pandemic. That's the poison pill of taking government handouts, Absolutely. I guess. I'm proud that nobody in my family took CERB, the, the, the compensation package, the monthly compensation package from the federal government, and we did not take any of the loans from the government. We worked right through the pandemic. We had no need to. Yeah, I did too. I I was hauling propane at the time, and um, you know, people's homes still need to be heated. Businesses, government buildings, all my customers, all their buildings still had to be heated. We had clients using propane for food service. I, you know, in the winter time, I was still doing 80, 85, 90 hours a week hauling propane because we would get an exemption from HOS rules because we're a vital service. So over and above being essential workers, I was considered extra essential. So while everyone was hiding behind their laptop, I was leaving home at three in the morning and getting home sometimes at nine or 10 o'clock at night if I was lucky. And and in those days, you didn't have a place where you could stop and use a bathroom, could you? Because everything was closed. No, no. Uh, bog roll in the truck and go out in the woods. <laughs> That's why I like the equipment trailers. When we haul, when we hauled our double drops, we could slide the slides out on the on the side of the trailer, and it would be a very cold, you know, makeshift toilet seat. <laughs> I remember when I was up on the ice. It's a long way from Yellowknife to the mine. And, or if I was running the Mackenzie Valley winter road, 
sometimes nature calls and you either stop on a portage or wherever you're at and uh, one butt cheek against one drive tire and one other butt cheek against the other. Make sure you get back in and get going before your butthole freezes or what you just left turned into a sharp landmine for your tires. Exactly. Some of these kids know those online, the, the, the internet trolls, they have no sense of what it actually takes to get things done in this country. Do they? Oh, not a clue. Not a clue, sir. Not a clue. So you're in Saskatchewan. You're working through the pandemic. People are obviously reacting very poorly to Trudeau's insane cross-border vaccine mandate for truckers who had previously been exempt. Trudeau already said that 90% of Canadians had already been vaccinated. So what's the point? Truckers lead solitary lives. We've been closed off from basically going anywhere. There was never a study done to prove we move the vaccine or, or move the virus around more than anybody else. Yet he insist is, insists on this mandate. What happens? Well, a few of us decided to stand up. A little bit of conversation in social media there. Um, one of the other people involved would have reached out to me, I believe, January 7th of 2022 and said, you know, I'm losing my job on the 15th. I no longer have a way of making a living and making my payments on my truck. And uh, at that point, I was already vaccinated. I took the, the the vaccine at the end of December, knowing full well that the 15th was coming. And, you know, being a business owner, I haul uh, agriculture equipment back and forth across the border. I'm my, my customers have relied on me for the last number of years, many years, to get that equipment out of the factories and back up to Canada here. And by me not taking that vaccine, it was essentially handing my customer base over to the big carriers out there who just, you know, threw their drivers in for the vaccine and were able to cross the border. So I made the personal choice to uh, to take the vaccine, to get my card so I could cross. But immediately, uh, the opportunity arose after that, that we were going to stand up and do something and at least try and have a voice against the tyrannical effort of Mr. Trudeau and and uh, Freeland and, and what they were doing to destroy this country. So uh, we planned on things. I met Ms. Tamara Leach uh, approximately like a week and a half later. I think it was the 13th, I believe. We actually spoke on the phone, started planning things, and I met her for the first time January 24th when we left from Red Cliff, Medicine Hat, Alberta, and started heading east to to, uh, to the nation's capital to voice our uh, dismay with the current administration. I used to stop at the ESO there at Red Cliff a lot. There's a little restaurant next to it. Truckers. Yeah, yep. truckers. Yep, on the, and on the other side of the highway, there's a big old fertilizer plant. I used to work for a guy in, uh, south of yep. Brooks. And before we went up north for the winter, I would run around either hauling grain or fertilizer. So I, I used to be in Redcliffe all the time. Used to haul it out of there 20 some years ago before I had Big Red, I think, because I used to haul fertilizer out of that plant. So yeah, Redwater, we used to do that all across the prairies back in the day. Yes, sir. So something that um, I don't think a lot of people understand because, of course, the media did their best to not explain this correctly because they had other intentions in mind, is that the Freedom Convoy itself was an extremely decentralized entity, right? So there was like yourself and Tamara and a bunch of people out West. And then the folks that uh, blockaded the Ambassador Bridge were different people. The people that had the demonstration at the Emerson border crossing in Manitoba were a different group of people. Um, the folks in Coots were a different group of people. The guys that came from Nova Scotia and points east, um, Harold Jonker and the gang from Southern Ontario, everyone sort of organized themselves, right? Like there was no like central committee or like 
no dark no. money behind it all, giving everybody money to do it. It was all decentralized and totally voluntary. Well, as you know, you know, a lot of the everybody, I think it just it showed just how many people in this country were fed up with this government overreach. I mean, they're blocking the borders. They were the, essentially the ones that shut down border travel for unvaccinated Canadian truckers or Canadians for that, Mac. Um, and yeah, we had no communication with Coots or Windsor or anyone else like that. Our objective, our group of people were going to the nation's capital to protest. And, and just by chance, a lot of other people, you know, decided they were going to do the same thing, but in a different manner. And and that's why Coots and Windsor and everything popped up there. So we didn't have any communication between them. We were watching and, and praying that everybody was going to be safe at all these different spots. Uh, but Ottawa was a busy, busy place. We would, we didn't have time to to focus on anything other than just where we were at that time. Yeah, I, for my part, I was watching everything online with you guys coming across the country and the sort of alternative media buzz and everything I was seeing. And I, I felt compelled to go to Ottawa. So like I live probably a four and a half, five hour drive from Ottawa here in New York. So I basically dropped everything I was doing and drove to Ottawa for that uh, first weekend. And I'm not vaccinated. I got to the border at Thousand Islands. I basically told PHAC to go to hell and I would not submit to their uh, stupid quarantine rules or put the Arrive Can app on. I just told them to go fuck themselves. Um, and I'm quite proud of that. I was, I'm not <clears throat> dealing with them. And um, I just said, give me my passport back. You guys can't hold this. And I'm not subjecting myself to your nonsense. And I drove to my buddy's house in Almonte on the outside of Ottawa. And that morning when you guys rolled in, um, you'd staged west of Ottawa. Uh, was it in Arm Pembroke? Arm prior. Arm prior. Right. Yeah. And I, I welcomed you guys in. I was one of the people on one of the overpasses, nice. you know, me and about a dozen friends. And then we drove into the city and basically spent the rest of the weekend there. It was awesome. It was the time, wasn't it? It was, it was, I think Canada needed that. I think many of the people, anybody that attended Ottawa, any, any citizen that actually took part in Ottawa was there to witness what actually happened has a positive perspective. Of it. I don't know anybody that was on the ground walking through the people were really hugging and, and uh, telling stories and, and crying on each other's shoulders. I've never heard anyone that was there say that it was an evil thing. It wasn't, it was completely peaceful, completely lovable, completely, it broke a lot of people down. It sure did. Um, and something I picked up on basically immediately when I showed up at that overpass, there was already hundreds of cars. And I mean, on the overpass, down both lanes, both shoulders, like a kilometer in either direction, people were walking. And it was like 25 below. It was lower than minus 30 with the wind chill, cold as hell, beautiful, bright, sunny day, but like cold, cold, cold. And everybody was all smiles, cheers, happiness, joy. And I knew immediately this wasn't even about the truckers anymore. This yeah. wasn't about the Freedom Convoy. This was something deep in the Canadian spirit had been um, stabbed and assaulted. And this, and, 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 and this was the remedy. This was the remedy. These were the people coming to fix things. It was just yeah, the trucks. The trucks were the visual coming across the country. The trucks were the minor part of it. And when you look back at it now, that was just the the spark, I guess, that lit the flame. It was everyone that actually came together. Man, wouldn't it have been nice to have like shares in a flag making company? Because I don't know if I've ever seen as many <laughs> flags. You being in the U.S. And this is one thing, like trucking in the U.S. for the last 20 some years, like I've done. 
the amount of people that fly the stars and stripes high and proudly has always been something that I've, I've been really envious of because in Canada, I didn't think we ever did that to the extent of what the U S does with the stars and stripes, but we've changed that in Canada. Now you see the Canadian flag everywhere. People fly it on their vehicles. People have it in their driveways. It's something that's just, it's all over Canada now. And I wish we'd have done that before. It, it's well, nice to- how, how ironic that it took Justin Trudeau to get Canadians to find their sense of pride in themselves again. Right. And this guy, Trudeau, you'll remember he gave an interview to the New York times in 2015 or 2016, in which he referred to Canada as a post-national country that doesn't have a real identity anymore. Why is that identity destroyed? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Gee, you know, uh, clearly, clearly, Prime Minister Trudeau had been spending far too much time in Davos and not enough time in Dartmouth or, you know, Drumheller or playing hockey or curling. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, when your dad comes from Cuba, I mean, what else do you expect? <laughs> yeah. But um, as far as the flags go, an observation I'd like to make. So I could only spend the first weekend. I had to come home, get back to work. And... You know, I got two little kids here, my wife and all that. And while I'm in the United States um, trucking around, Canadian flags started popping up everywhere, right? You see them occasionally kind of near border towns or maybe a bumper sticker on someone driving by once in a blue moon, but they're not a fixture of the landscape. American flags are a fixture of the landscape, right? Canadian flags popped up everywhere. Every time I would meet some new American person while I was out working that didn't know me, they would either hear my accent or somehow find out I was Canadian. And they would say, man, what those truckers in Canada are doing is awesome. It's about time somebody stood up to all this nonsense. And I'm telling you, man, the Freedom Convoy are heroes to most normal, regular people in the United States. 100%. We appreciate the support. We do. We, uh, we seen it. We, uh, we definitely, it was funny how uh, Fox news picked us up and carried us for quite a bit of the, of the protests and, you know, gave us a bigger voice through America media than what our own Canadian media was doing. And yet when the U S guys did the, the convoy to Washington there, they basically kept it quiet. Like nobody heard about, it. unless you were watching it on social media, like what I was doing. Um, it wasn't spoke about in mainstream media, like what, you know, they portrayed us as with Fox, which was sad. Yeah, no, and a, a sort of another really interesting version of that tendency just came up. So there's a guy running for uh, the president right now. The Republicans, his name is Vivek Ramishwamy. Yep. And he he yep. did a little uh, he did a little trucker summit. Hats off to him for it. He went to the Iowa 80 truck stop. Uh, there was a there's an organization I'm actually part of here called CDL Drivers Unlimited. They're sort of a truckers advocacy organization. And because they're doing the Iowa caucuses, they organized this trucker summit to get someone to speak directly to the concerns of America's truckers. And Mr. Ramaswamy referenced the Freedom Convoy in Canada and didn't say anything about the People's Convoy in the U.S. Oh, oh shoot. Now, I, I think that might have been like a little bit of a social media thing. And it worked because... He brought out all the sort of Trudeau bots and Canadian truckers who said thank you. And the video he made of that got four times as many views as any other campaign video he released. Really? It sure did, yep. 
I was in uh, I was in America Fest in Phoenix, Arizona here before Christmas and Vivek spoke there and I got to tell you yeah he was uh, it was just shortly after that when he did the video on the bus there you know giving us a shout out and uh, he's very powerful when he speaks he's very well put together I was really impressed does he have anything Mr for for Mr Donald Trump I honestly don't I don't think so I'm kind of waiting here anxiously to see how the the Iowa caucus votes on this was cuz I think Trump's going to take it again yeah, and you know, as a sidebar, um, the people, our ruling class, the establishment, the elite, the media, they haven't got the picture yet, and they keep trying to like you know kick Trump off the ballot, and they say that he's the threat to democracy, whereas these guys are reducing the candidates and saying one can't run, yeah. and they're just be clowning themselves. And what's actually going to happen is they're going to cause more people to vote for him. And well, that, you know, that's what they're doing; they're pushing him more. I right. Don't know if you, well. It's the truck. Somebody, tr drove, somebody drove by the yard here, and Zippy's upstairs losing his marbles. So, if you can hear him, I'm not. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, but yeah, the they haven't learned that you know you don't let a real estate mogul into your head rent free because this is what happens. <laughs> exactly. Right. He is, I, I listened to even like Donald Trump Jr. spoke at America Fest last month, and I was really, really impressed with how well and put together he is, too. He's a very powerful speaker. He, he motivated the whole crowd. He's one of the openers, and it was it was awesome. That was an entirely amazing festival. Four days of speakers there. I met a lot of awesome people, and uh, it was really powerful. So quick question. Um, I'm just... I've never been charged with anything by the government. So I'm kind of curious how you've managed to go to Arizona and back given pending criminal charges. So I'm charged, but I'm not convicted. So they didn't take my passport. I've got bail conditions. Of course, uh, we posted a $120,000 bail bond. And with that, I'm not allowed to have contact with, with Tamara Leach or uh, Patrick King. Uh, and Danny Bulford was here up until about a month ago where we had a, a bail variation and had Danny removed off that list. So my conditions are I'm not allowed to support the protest. I'm not really, I don't think I can even fly to Germany to show support to those boys right now. You know, I was checking out plane tickets the other day to fly. I thought, wouldn't that be cool to go to Berlin and, and uh, help these boys out over there? Because what they're doing over there is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, just once these conditions are done with, once the trial is done with, then I'll be able to hang out with Tamara again and Pat. So. But yeah, right. I can cross the, cross the border. I just, uh, yeah, no, I've, I, I'm fully free. It was a little nerve wracking after convoy heading back of Vancouver, port of Vancouver, port of, um, Blaine, Blair, Washington or whatever it is. Um, I was a little nervous pulling up to the border thinking like, am I going to be able to get across? And of course they could see everything. I now have to answer the question, you know, have you ever been arrested or fingerprinted? And I have to say yes now to that. And so then you have to answer a whole bunch of questions. One was really a uh, border crossing guarded portal. North Dakota was hilarious. He looked at the charges cause he could see everything on this, on the screen there. And he's like, <laughs> good job. We were behind you. <laughs> right. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One of the um, one of the criticisms a lot of antagonists to the Freedom Convoy came up with was that you know the United States also had a vaccine mandate to come back and forth over the borders. But one of the things that people hiding in their apartments or their houses that don't go anywhere because they're afraid of a virus with ninety nine point nine seven percent survivability if you're in good shape and under the age of sixty, yep. is that. If you went to the border, it was a dead letter. The Americans weren't enforcing it at all. I mean, there was a couple of tokens, you know, and, you know, if you admitted to them openly that you hadn't 
got vaccinated, they would turn you around and send you back to Canada. But if you lied about it, they had no way to check it. One of the things that people don't understand is that, you know, I'll give Trudeau this much credit and the Canadian government this much credit. They were serious about it, right? They had imposed a quarantining system. They made a Rive can. They had like, they were checking everybody's vaccine batch numbers. Like they at least put their money where their mouth was. Uh, The Americans? No, it was all fake. It was just like, it was basically honor system. And most American customs and border security guys are, let's say on team MAGA and they weren't having it. So like, as long as you sort of like faked it till you made it at the border, you wouldn't get checked. My sister came to visit me all through the pandemic. She crossed the border. She never got the shot. I know truckers back home that never got the shot and they just lied about it the whole time. You know, and the only people that ever gave you any trouble was going back into Canada. So tell me this, here we are like three years after this virus originated. I wouldn't say 90% of Canadians took the vaccine. I'd say more like 65 to 70. I, I call the federal government's numbers bullshit because I've known more people in every community that are not vaccinated and made it through the mandates without getting vaccinated. So tell me how now those people aren't dying in droves right now because of COVID, because people still get COVID to this day, even though they're vaccinated, they're boosted, and they're still, you can still die from it. But it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not, it seems like. No, I mean, consistency and logic escape some folks. Yeah. My son is 20 years old. He was 18, almost 17, I guess, when we rolled for Ottawa, unvaccinated. And I don't know if many people know this or not, but I had the Omicron virus when we were rolling across Canada in the truck. I was sick as can be, tired, fully vaccinated. Tamara was in the passenger seat, unvaccinated. Jonathan was in the bunk. Zippy was there, the little dog. And uh, Jonathan, to this day, has never even got a sniffle from a COVID and uh, completely unvaccinated. It seems like as soon as you get the booster or the shot, you get COVID about two weeks later. Well, if the tests are to be believed, I got it twice. I guess when the Omicron thing was going around, I I did get it. Uh, and I know why I got it, because my wife got it, even though my wife is triple shotted with Moderna because she's a school teacher and believes the science and all that fun stuff. Uh, she went to a family gathering where everybody was vaxxed and boosted and got it there and brought it home to me. And she was on the floor for about six days, basically immobile, couldn't do anything. Uh, myself and my mother-in-law were chasing after the kids and I got it from her and I had a temperature of about a hundred degrees for 36 hours. And then I was tired for a couple of days and then it was gone. It was like the biggest nothing burger ever. Yeah. I had a 90 year old grandmother. She's since passed now, but grandma spent, you know, those, those months in the nursing home locked up without anybody able to visit her. And, and even after that, my aunt was like super scared of this COVID variant. And how dare you go anywhere near and make sure you wear your mask. I'm protecting my mother. And they tested her one day for COVID and she was positive and she didn't even know it. 90 years old sitting in a, in a, in a home, they locked her in her bedroom and, and for a week or whatever it may be, she didn't, not a sniffle, not anything. She just rested. Right. You know what? Back to Ottawa. I remember reading that whilst the freedom convoy was in town, that the COVID numbers at Ottawa area hospitals went down while you guys were there. While all of you dirty, unvaccinated truckers had uh, taken over the city and were rampaging and destroying everything and breathing all over everybody because you weren't wearing your masks outside right. um, yet. <laughs> yet the city of Ottawa crime went down. COVID numbers went down. Um, all of these like 
uncontrovertible data points took place. Um, how, how do you explain that, Mr. Barber? Well, the homeless were fed. Did you know that a lot of the homeless in, in Ottawa were uh, were well looked after, were very happy, were fell, well fed? There's a story out there that the truckers raided the food, um, the, uh, what do they call it? The Shepherds of Good Hope. It's a, uh, where the homeless go, um, the shelter. And uh, that never happened. And we raided the food and we took the food. And uh, if you were in Ottawa, the one thing you've seen was there was food everywhere, anywhere you walk. Somebody was offering you a bowl of soup or a sandwich or something like that. It was amazing. Um, so the homeless were looked after. Crime rate was actually down 90% in the downtown core. I mean, we went out and spent, I don't know how much money we spent on shovels, but we bought about 100 snow shovels and we handed it out to truckers that were on the streets. And those truckers shoveled the sidewalks and cleaned the garbage. Um, that was one of the things that happened. Um, I know it was just an atmosphere, you know, like, and, and like I said, anybody that was part of it knew exactly what it was. The police overreacted like they, like they normally did. They were the ones that brought the concrete barriers in. they brought the graders and the payloaders and the trucks in and they gridlocked the downtown core of the city. They left a lot of the people on the outskirts of the city on the Sir Johnny McDonald Parkway. They just shut them off. There was miles of trucks there that had no place to go. It wasn't like they said it was on the media. And uh, no, everyone I've spoken with um, about it that either lives in Ottawa or was who went to Ottawa has that's one of the recurring themes is that they would go to the convoy, check out the protests, and then read what they saw in the news. And what they saw in the news was like the exact 180 degree opposite to what they were yep. seeing for themselves with their own eyes. There, my son finally came to the door. So now Zippy can be happy. <laughs> <laughs> now he's trying to get him to shut up. Sorry about that. I don't know if you could hear Zippy or not. He's a very vocal little dog that's a security system. So, Right. Did Zippy go with you to Ottawa? He did. Zip was with us. Zip and I, uh, we walked the streets of Ottawa. 90% of the time it was so darn cold that Zip had to spend some time in my coveralls to keep him warm. But every morning we walked down to the Tim Hortons and grabbed a coffee and a muffin and for my wife and uh and my wife flew out there after about the first week so yeah it was uh it was good zippy was there he made his impact he's quite the well-known little dog on social media he's uh, quite 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 the character right you'll have to pardon me i, I don't have tiktok and you know pr pretty busy guy i don't i don't watch too many videos i had a twitter account i've been kicked off twitter four times oh yeah no i um so i wrote this <laughs> article for newsweek i I, I, I have been sort of like kind of writing about the trucking business, you know, labor market stuff mm -hmm. in a sort of geeky sort of way before Freedom Convoy happened. I'd been on a couple of podcasts talking about the industry and I went to Ottawa, uh, live tweeted, took a bunch of videos and whatever. Like my, at the time, my Twitter account was like, I don't know, 1200 followers. It was basically nothing, but there was a bunch of media people that followed me because I discuss issues in the trucking business. And I was invited to write for Newsweek. So I wrote a couple of articles defending the convoy for Newsweek. I like wrote an article questioning why all the labor unions went all in with the government instead of representing their membership and their membership's bodily autonomy. And the first article I wrote uh, about my time in Ottawa and about the Freedom Convoy and about the fact that the Canadian media was smearing you guys, um, I was invited on Fox News. And I spoke with Laura Ingraham, who I understand is quite the contentious figure. Regardless, she was the only one who called. So I took the opportunity. And uh, 36 hours later, my Twitter account was canceled. 
And uh, one of my oldest best friends texted me out of nowhere and said, I don't know who you are anymore. And I don't ever want to talk to you again. No wow. questions asked. No, like, why do you think the way you do? How did you yeah. find things in Ottawa? What, how did you end up in Newsweek? How the hell did you end up on Fox? Like, no questions, right. just like get lost. Right. And so, and one of the things that the, the, the freedom convoy spoke to, and I mentioned the Canadian spirit having been attacked were these divisions between family and friends over questions of vaccine or not vaccine or masking or not, or how serious we should take this. Um, uh, people being separated from normal community associations, you know, uh, curling ranks, closing hockey, shutting down all of this stuff that people do together was basically flattened overnight and it put the buzz on everybody's heads. Right. And again, this, this is why the freedom convoy was so popular is because everybody wanted that stuff back. Well, I think it was a big exposure, right? Um, you're being from Canada. You would know this story too. Western Canada versus Eastern Canada. There's always been a divide there, right? Why is that divide there? Because we think that the East is somehow, robbing from the west and the west is trying to protect itself from the east and it's a fight that's been going on for years and years and years in the voting and the the you know the liberal versus conservative but one thing with freedom convoy is we exposed was it's the government's been doing this to us for years the government's divided culture because of where they live east or west in this country what perfect example we had people from quebec hugging people from western canada and actually having a conversation without having an argument that was something that was always that was seen a lot in ottawa and so there we we debunked that one right there with with the government we proved that the government's behind this the government's been dividing us with with race for many many years and then the government found themselves in in our homes, dividing families, which is a huge accomplishment for them. They divide and conquer, right? We still have, I have family members that just celebrated Christmas reluctantly with other family members because some people are, you know, considered plague rats because they're not vaccinated. I mean, three years later when COVID, you can get COVID if you're vaccinated, non-vaccinated, make it make sense. Make these people that, that are so you know, butthurt because not everybody got the vaccine and we should literally, we have been, people have been told that they can go die. I, I was visiting with a lady on the weekend in Calgary. Her father said, I hope you die on a ventilator because she wouldn't go get a vaccine. That's your daughter. What the hell is wrong with this country? Why is that? Because government told him that he should think this way. Yeah. Oh man. I, my only wish is one day that we see some accountability for this, but I, I think yeah. that's, uh, man, I don't know. There's still so many people sleeping. There's still so many people that don't see it. You know, well, I've one, got a... one, of the, one of the reasons they don't see it is they're only told one side of the story and they've been taught to fear anybody speaking at it from the other side. Right. So 100%. Uh, we saw this with coverage of the convoy and I think, you know, um, this situation with the guys in Coots, uh, when they were first arrested, you know, the media said all kinds of nasty things about them, repeating unproven allegations from the RCMP, which led to the first publication ban. Yeah. And now they've kind of abandoned them. So, like, nobody even knows this is going on other than, like, a small handful of us paying attention. But I'm working on that. Trust me, I'm working on that. Um, and, uh, you know... I don't think very many people know, even know that your guy's trial is still going on. You know, like I, people don't know the names, Harold Junker, or Guy Meisner, or James Bowery, or any of these folks. And, yeah. you know, like 
the fact that your trials are still going on is just it's it, it, in any other normal functioning time or different functioning society this would be like we would be the laughing stock so a lot of thing a lot of people don't know this but our lead investigators from the Ottawa City Police are actually homicide investigators they uh the top paid brass in Ottawa police are have been chosen to are you know to to build the case against us so when our trial first started at the beginning of September, there was a drive-by shooting in the Somalian uh, area of Ottawa where I believe it was four, two or four people were killed with a drive-by shooting. Six people were injured. And uh, two weeks after that, we were still in trial, of course, um, with no suspects, no leads on this drive-by shooting and these people that were murdered. But yet we had three, and I mean three homicide investigators in our courtroom for a total of two full weeks. So, that's asinine so, isn't it well again they're more interested in punishing dissent than actually uh providing uh the, the sort of safety and security that are the purview of what government is supposed to do 100 percent um so speaking of the cops um convoy went on in ottawa for three weeks and then things got weird near the end can you describe for us what happened um, right before you were initially arrested, Tamara was arrested, and all these other folks were picked up? Well, you could see how police were ramping up their efforts to instigate. They were, uh, you know, the, the police officers that we dealt with for the first, you know, two, three weeks of that were, were slowly being shuffled back, and a new set of law enforcement were brought in. Um, it was almost like a, you know, you know how you, you work a stud horse up with the mare outside to the point where you want, you know, production when you open the barn gate uh we could see that's how they did that they uh they worked those officers up they went out and found officers from all across the country that were willing to come there and bust the kneecaps of you know peaceful protesting canadians that just want to be heard from their government that was basically it if somebody would have come out from the main office in the middle of the parliament hill there and had a conversation or even sent a delegation out to have a conversation and at least listen to the concerns of a lot of canadians who were there we could have resolved a lot. Instead, we got called names. He called us misogynistic, racist, um, basically plague rats, like what Justin Trudeau likes to do. He uses his divisive language to try and segregate a certain part of society. Um, and then we slowly watched it. I was one of the first ones arrested. So December 17th, walking down the street um, with a cup of coffee in my hands. Come you mean up February behind. 17th? February 17th, yeah. Uh, I was arrested. I was uh taken away to a holding cell you know many people have told us lawyers uh danny bulford which was uh rcmp he's part of this the sniper team with justin trudeau who lost his job because of the mandates he said chris when if we are arrested or if anything happens like that you'll probably have to sign some paperwork and you'll be you'll be out within a couple hours and on your merry way i spent 26 hours in uh in police custody in in the drunk cell in a cold basement dungeon of the ottawa city please it's notorious for its conditions a concrete bed to sleep on a cold concrete bed, mind you. Um, 26 hours I was released. I had 24 hours to exit the city of Ottawa. I had 72 hours to exit the province of Ontario. Uh, I had a truck to get home with. I wasn't allowed to be anywhere near Tamara. So Tamara rode out with me in Big Red, unfortunately. She didn't have a way home. Uh, Tamara was arrested later that day. Um, and she ended up spending 49 days in jail. Uh, we had a crown prosecutor there that was, uh, maliciously prosecuting uh us anything that happened he was bound to determine to have tamara's head on a platter 
Um, she attended a, a gala uh, later that year, I believe it was, when she was released. She spent the first part of her, her when she got out of jail, I think it was about 19 to 20 days, something like that. She was in custody and then was released and she attended a Freedom Award um, conference, I guess, and was in the same room with one of the people that she had conditions against. And even though these people, these two didn't have uh, a conversation, Tamara was arrested under a breach. These homicide investigators flew all the way out to Alberta and picked her up in shackles and flew her back to Ottawa, where she spent another 20 some days in a remand center. Um, those charges, those breach charges have now been dropped. Uh, they were dropped in December, I believe it was, for whether it be lack of evidence or what it was. Um, just the funny thing is, is when, uh, if, if we have legal counsel present, we can hang out. The gala that she was at was, was a room full of lawyers. She had lots, but that was, that was, it was anything to get at her is what it was. Seems to be like anything to get at you guys. So at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned, uh, all of the charges against you and you said Tamara has seven and you have eight. I have, yeah, I have seven. She has six. Six. Okay. And so the the evidence such as they have any i've been so when you guys were in court in september and october i was sort of following it um there's a lady named trish wood has a podcast former cbc journalist really lovely woman and amazing um, lady yes yeah yeah invited me to uh be on her documentary which is how i met you recently and in her reportage you know she mentions that they're not making much of a case. They're showing all these videos in the courtroom and it's everybody being peaceful. The only time there's violence, it's at the hands of the cops. They've they're, they're literally making the case for the defense and like there, there's no, so, so you've been charged with intimidation. Intimidation like requires intent and some kind of like verbal harassment of somebody or like, you know, physical intimidation um, what, what are they basing this on? Common unlawful design is what they want. They want conspiracy between Tamara and I, that we were conspiring to essentially, uh, shut over in the country, shut the government down, whatever it may have been. Um, well, one of the, so one of the things your antagonists say, and Trudeau even has said this is that like, you guys had some memorandum of understanding about overthrowing the country. I saw it briefly, but like, didn't, Did you read like, it? I, it was gobbledygook, and it wasn't. I, written, it. It wasn't, I haven't read it. <laughs> it wasn't written by you guys. No, and I think like uh, Mr. Dichter had said, like he made an announcement, like we are not. Th- th- that's not us. We reject yes. those guys. We reject Pat King. We we like all of this stuff. Like that's not us. Like we're doing our own thing over here, and none of that stuff matters. We only want the mandates ended, and that's it. Like it, it was pretty clear from your guys' spokespeople that all of that stuff was nonsense. My understanding of even the memorandum of understanding is there's a guy by the name of uh, James Bowder with Canada Unity who was involved in the protest. He was there. He traveled across the country with us. He had, uh, it doesn't have anywhere written in it that it's overthrowing the government. It has more or less, you have to sign, um, they wanted in, in, I have never read it, so I can't even really say anything, but if you sign the memorandum of understanding, you wanted politicians to sign it saying that they were going to look after the best interests of their constituents being Canadians instead of the best interests of the government. 
and uh, the government. So the, so the overthrowing thing is a lie and a psyop. Then it, it is. I've never read it. Uh, it's still online, I believe. Um, the POEC. The we all had to take part in the POC, the Public Emergency Order Commission, uh, November of twenty two. Uh, we had to fly out there and they discussed it quite a bit in that everything has been all been released. Um, anything to do with the money, the, the money that they, the government seized from us. I mean, a lot of people don't know this almost $20 million was raised in a, in, in behalf of the freedom convoy from Canadians that wanted to see a change in, in the mandates and the government has shut every leg of that down. They seized everything. It's all sitting in escrow. Um, people's bank accounts are frozen throughout this. There's a lot of atrocities that have happened to regular ordinary Canadians for just being pissed off and standing up for this stuff. Yeah. Um, about that, about the money, this, this is also the sort of locus of this civil suit that's been filed against you guys by this um, Ottawa yeah. Citizens Coalition, who, if I remember correctly you said they're coming after you guys for 400 million dollars 400 million dollars where so, uh, so, so where are you going to get that if they actually win the case well Which i they, doubt they will but they want they want the money that's sitting in the escrow account right now a lot of the gifts and go and the gofundme money was actually sent back to to uh the people that donated it um what was left after the smoke cleared was about 5.5 million dollars which was all given over to the courts to hold an escrow until all these, these court cases are finished. So Zexy Lee, citizen Ottawa, citizen of Ottawa, she works for uh, service Canada uh, with the CRA, the Canadian tax revenue agency. Let's face it. She was headhunted to be the face of this lawsuit. Lawyer Paul Champsine dollars wanted this money as well as some of the city councillors. I mean, this is when you get into the brass tacks of this, it was all a conspiracy to, to go after the money to uh, to set somebody up, and they found this lady named Zexy Lee that wanted to be a person. When when she testified against us in our court hearing in Ottawa a couple months ago, she was brought in with three armed security guards, three to testify against Tamara and I for a total of two days. Three armed security guards in a courthouse, like we have never once ushered a. There's been never a threat of anything. We've theater. always theater, yeah, theater. So they're, 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 they're putting still... on a show. They're still throwing the show, yeah. And in that in that courtroom under cross examination, she admitted that she had no loss of wages throughout the pro the protest, and she didn't lose any any work. Her life right. was not it wasn't affected at all. And uh, one of the things that really drives me nuts, I went and looked into that Ottawa Citizens Coalition, and I saw the thing Chump is doing, and I'm going to keep calling him Chump because he is a chump. He's a and The yeah. hell with him. Um. There's a couple of businesses that claim they lost revenue because they had to close. However, they made the decision to close themselves. You guys never interfered with anyone's businesses. And those that did remain open during the convoy did bump in business from the truckers, their supporters and various other protesters. So there's, I mean, there's actually... there, was a, there was a sea of people in downtown Ottawa, basically yeah. every weekend of the convoy. Let's talk about businesses that stayed open during the convoy. Eureka with the iconic cafe in downtown Ottawa. The guy paid his rent for months. 
because people walked and supported him in droves. And he said that multiple times. What happened after the convoy was Eriko was evicted from his restaurant in downtown Ottawa, kicked out of the city and ran out of business because he refused to shut down under the city's, you know, the policing in there and and demanding that he shut down out of safety concerns because of the convoy. The Tim Hortons restaurants that were open downtown were inundated with service um one of the companies that's suing us personally is uh, the happy goat coffee company which is i think a bunch of different locations around the downtown core of ottawa if they were open they would have done really really well people were supporting anyone people just wanted to live again there is a there's a union involved in this lawsuit as well as two other people and i mean they've they broadened the, the square now of the what they call the red zone downtown so as many people can join this lawsuit as they want. Um, anyone, I think there's seven people that testified against Tamara and I, and each one of them were part of the lawsuit. So you can tell what they're after. Yeah, one of the seven deadly sins is greed. Yep. Over over and above all the others. Um, so it, it just, I, again, there's, there's so many absurdities here. Um, <laughs> I, in yep. my discussions, so as I have been writing on behalf or reporting on, as it were, the situation with the four guys from Coots, I, I've been speaking with them on the phone. They're allowed 20-minute phone calls so many yep. a day. And I've been recommending that they read um, certain books if they can get their hands on them. The Trial by Franz Kafka, which is where the term Kafkaesque nightmare comes from. Um, have you ever read that, sir? No, I'll actually write it down now. Yeah, Kafka was this sort of turn of the century, early 20th century Czech playwright and writer, and he was considered sort of one of the fathers of existential or absurdist sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote this, he wrote a number of um, plays and stories. Uh, one of them was called Metamorphosis, about a man who like wakes up one day having turned into an insect and then, you know, wonders what he's supposed to do with himself. And then another one is the trial about a man who's uh, convicted of something. He doesn't know what, and the government and all of the authorities just never let on what he's being convicted or going to trial for. And it's, it, it, it just shows like that what, what happens when a totalitarian system basically like grabs someone off the street and throws them away, yeah. you know? And then there's another really good book by a guy, a French author named Albert Camus or Camus, C-A-M-U-S. Uh, he wrote a number of books, um, one of which was called La Peste or, or the plague. And it's about uh, a town in Algeria that is sort of, it, it gets the plague and all, all these rats start dying. People start dying and everybody starts losing their minds and it sort of it, it describes anybody who has gone through COVID and and suffered and seen what's gone on will read the plague and go, yeah, this guy wrote about this like 80 years before it happened. Right. Right. And yep. so I just, you know, the sort of the, the absurdities, right? Like the the, the the and the absurd reactions of the government to you guys and the punishment. Like they, they just can't let it go. And I, I yeah. use the I use the terms venal and vindictive to describe Justin Trudeau, but it's 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 bigger than Trudeau. There's like a class dimension here. And yep. something else that's going on with sort of Western society is that you know the, our governing institutions and the people who are supposed to be in charge 
are not interested in actually representing the people like geographically where they're supposed to. They don't believe in the sovereign anymore. They don't believe in like national identity. Like they're trying to basically turn everybody into a sort of global um, homogenized beige mush. Mm -hmm. And they don't report to the people that have voted for them. So like we effectively are not ruled by a democracy anymore. Mm -hmm. And Trudeau is like the Canadian iteration of that. And, you know, the liberal party, the NDP, um, certain members of the conservatives, the bloc, like it infects our entire ruling elite, most of the media, like Trudeau said it himself. Canada is a post-national state that doesn't have its own identity. Oh, really? Really? The Freedom Convoy was that identity coming up to knock on the door and say, no, thank you. And they squashed us. Right. So I think what, what, what we're seeing here um, with, with the treatment of you guys, I think is a, a portent for things to come as this sort of like, you know, transnational global um, movement against individuals and national sovereignty keeps going. And like you say, we're seeing that now in Berlin because insane climate and energy policies have basically turned Germany into a basket case. And the farmers and truckers are saying enough is enough of that. And, you know, we're going to keep seeing more of it, unfortunately. Well, when you start seeing that 40 to 50% of, you know, Canadians or global citizens that have had enough and they're finally standing up to what they're, what's, what's been coming. Like the most of we're, we're too busy working. We're too busy paying our mortgage. We're too busy raising our families to get involved with this sort of stuff. I had somebody here a little while ago that said, you know, Chris, I would have been a little bit, yeah, I would have been right there with you in Ottawa, you know, but I've got a mortgage and, and kids to feed. And, and my response was, so do I. Don't we all? Yeah, we all do, you know, and I appreciate, you know, the fact that he was wanting to help or would have helped, but it's like, at what point is that going to affect you enough? You know, we have families right now in Canada that go to the grocery store and can't afford food anymore. They have to choose whether they get food or a heat bill every day because the economy is, the inflation is so high in this country and our cost of living is through the roof. And guess what the government does? They keep taking more from us. You know, the carbon tax up here. It's basically, if you want to think of it per truck in my company, I've got six six semis in my company and it's about $25,000 per semi per year more it costs me to run because of Justin Trudeau hitting his carbon tax. That's 150 grand in total. Right. And I have to offset that cost. And so you're playing around with the liberals on the left online, like I love to do on a regular basis here, because I love I love messing with them. I love trolling them. Um, they commonly come up with like, no, the carbon tax has nothing to do with inflation. <laughs> really? Come on, people. <laughs> what the hell? But it just shows you the mentality because the government can say, hey, the carbon tax doesn't have anything to do with inflation. And some Canadian citizens are so brainwashed by Canadian media or the government that they actually believe it. Right. There's a quote and I'm going to pull it up here to make sure that I get it correctly, which (laughs) describes what we are witnessing here. Um, George Orwell. 1984. It's, I think it's from 1984 or one of the other ones. Uh, No, it is 1984. All right. And and I quote, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and your ears. It was their final, most essential command. So like, basically there's another, there's this philosopher I really like in a book you should read or an audio book. Next time you're on your way back to Ottawa, this guy named Matthew Crawford, he's been on my show once. He's a writer here in the U.S. He's published some pretty major best-selling books. Um, 
shop class says soul craft the world beyond your head and the one most pertinent to us is called why we drive it's sort of a philosophical discourse on the act of driving and the act of like navigating the world and like how we're losing so much by you know they're trying to automate cars and yeah. you know it's a really really deep dive book um but something that crawford says is that you know um under the regimes we live under um common sense has been disallowed mm-hmm. as a way of making sense of the world right like you're not like common sense no you 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 must follow the science and you must yep. believe all these experts and technocrats rather than the sort of inherited traditional knowledge and modes of navigating the world that have worked basically forever, you know, warts and all minor mistakes here and there, but like common sense and intuitiveness, like you should be able to trust your own intuition. And these guys like Trudeau and the sort of, you know, branch Covidians have said, Mm -hmm. no, 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 your intuition is not good enough. You must follow our orders. Trust us. Right. And look where and look where that's getting us. That's getting us inflation, poverty, tent cities. I watched uh there's this guy from BC. I just uh, was suggested to me here a little while ago, uh, named the amazing Zoltan. He's like okay. some videographer, YouTuber yeah. dude. And he just released this sort of documentary. It it, it it's on the Freedom Convoy and Canada yeah. under Trudeau. But what he's done, if you watch it, it's only an hour long, and I think he released it in three parts on Twitter. Yeah, I've but, seen some of it, yeah. Yeah, one of the things he he did really well is he intertwined all of this video footage of, like, Trudeau and Freeland and their press conferences and these idiots fighting in Parliament with images from the Freedom Convoy, you know, um, uh, your TikTok videos, Tamara, everybody involved. And then he he sort of stitches it together with video footage of all these tent encampments across Canada, right? Penticton, Kelowna, Vancouver, Toronto, yep. all over the place. And then and, 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 you, and you just see that, like, while you guys are trying to fight for bodily autonomy and freedoms Canadians hold dear, this clown who's fighting you is governing a country that's falling apart at the seams. And is experiencing human misery at levels never seen in Canadian history. Right? Like it's extremely powerful imagery, and it's it's telling the truth, right? Like the, yep. the Canadian government is spending so much money, time, resources, and effort trying to prosecute y- you and the Coots guys and Tamara and Harold Junker and all the rest of them. And there's literal tent cities and massive problems with opioids and meth and poverty and homelessness and nobody can afford anything anymore yep. like get your fucking priorities straight guys 100%, right you know oh it makes me we so know mad. we know justin trudeau's behind a lot of this stuff right now we know uh we've when we've heard this i guess i've heard this multiple times from someone within inside the cabinet there that justin trudeau out of his mouth the exact words was we want them to. I want them to pay for what what they did to my government. <laughs> Vindictive. It's. I've been, I've been choosing the right word this whole time. He's an entitled little trust fund baby. The guy's never had to do a hard day's work in his life, and yet he's running our country into the ground for the last nine years. This is the legacy of Justin Trudeau. The guy can't walk across the street right now without being heckled from Canadians that have had enough of his bullshit. I mean, but he he will double down, triple down because nobody tells him what to do. 
Right. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things he did import from his biological father's country was a proclivity for authoritarianism. So right. uh, David Menzies the other day got arrested for trying to, to ask Christina Freeland a question and the Gestapo, you know, RCMP security team there, they threw him against the wall and arrested him trying to show his media credentials when this, he's a trusted and known media uh, person for many years, David Menzies as well. But, but because rebel news used the association that he works for isn't recognized by the federal government because they spread misinformation yet CBC, CTV global talk bullshit all day long. They certainly did about the freedom convoy. And it seems to me like they haven't stopped and they're not going to anytime no. soon, especially given that they're wards of the state, right? Like Trudeau has been right. bailing them out with money at least since 2019. So $600 million a year, I believe is what goes into media in this country is what Trudeau hands them. So tell me that's not a playbook right off Adolf Hitler from the thirties. Hey, he used to, you know, put radios in everybody's houses so they would listen to what he had to say. Right. Yeah. Well, another thing that went on was, the use of health and cleanliness as yeah. a way to divide, you know, the good Aryan Germans from all of the others, the gypsies, the Jews, the homosexuals and everybody else that like Hitler had deemed unclean. He used these terms and they used to have what they called health passes in Germany. Jesus Christ, people wake up. Wake up. I know you can scream it from the rooftops, but some people are so stupid. They, uh, they just, they still won't get it no matter what. It makes you wonder at what point will they actually think, holy shit, now this is affecting me or, or my family, and I will uh, eventually stand. But I, I think some are like led right to the slaughter plant before they'll actually wake up. Right. So all of these troubles that you're going through, this adversity, uh, you and Tamara and everyone else, I hate to guess where your guys' legal bills are at right now. Well, yeah, we're... I think between Tamara and I, we're probably approaching three quarters of a million dollars now. Our legal uh, fees have tripled in the last, it was supposed to be a 16 day trial. We're at 32, 33 days, something like that now. And we're still looking for another, you know, eight days in the next while. Um, yeah. Lawyer bills are expensive. There's been, uh, you know, a lot of help has gone in from a lot of different organizations across the country. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has helped myself out with my criminal legal fees and to a certain extent. The Democracy Fund has helped out Tamara with hers. Uh, the JCCF is helping us out with the, with the civil lawsuit with Paul Champ and, and Zexy Lee for the $400 million. We've done fundraisers. We've got a trust account with my lawyer's office in, in Ottawa for anyone that doesn't that wants to donate directly to her. We, uh, we sell merchandise over my shoulder there. You can see Big Red, the cartoon version of it, um, as well as a small fringe minority, a proud member of a small fringe minority. We sell a lot of those those hoodies and stickers on the website for Big Red. BigRedMerch.ca is what the website is for that. So anybody interested in supporting. And it just goes to help out. We're, I've been gone in Ottawa for four months um, through this trial. So my 20-year-old son, Jonathan, has basically had to step up to the plate. He was just driving and enjoying his life until dad went to trial. And now Jonathan's answering the phone from customers, quoting loads, dispatching the other trucks. Uh, that's a hell of a lot of responsibility. I don't, I don't know what I was doing at 20, but it sure as hell wasn't running a company as well as that kid's done, as well as coming home on the weekends, maintenancing, changing tires, all the rest of the stuff. So yeah, maintain, maintaining trucks is no joke because they're always breaking down. There's always problems. Yeah. Uh, lo logistics is an art form unto itself. I'm dealing with customers, billing, accounting, all the yeah. rest of it, maintenance, like 
you know, trucking's a hard job and it, and it, and it requires hard people. And something, you know, I, I've said in a few of my writings is like, Trudeau didn't, I don't think Trudeau understood again, because, you know, he's the scion of a political dynasty and never had to work a day in his life. Right. He had no idea who he was up against when he like basically declared war on the trucking business. Right. Like truckers, especially if you're in Western Canada and you work in the cold or like anywhere in Canada, you know, if you're a logger in Northern Quebec or Ontario, you're used to working your tail off all winter long in the worst of conditions, sleeping in your truck, going without social contact. God knows what you're eating. Uh, Oil rig guys in Alberta, guys running the ice. Like you're, you're going against the hardest working people on planet earth who are used to the working through the most abominable conditions. And he thought he was going to win. Wake (laughs) up, dude. (laughs) We're a little on the stubborn side. Like he named us when, when he, when he come out and said, you know, the members of the small fringe minority with unacceptable views, you know, don't speak for regular Canadians who think the best way through this pandemic is by getting vaccinated. He named us. And because of that, we've now become this small fringe minority with unacceptable views. And there's a ton of us out there and we're proud of that name now. Screw him and his, uh, his, uh, his divisive rhetoric that he's been using for the last eight, nine years. Cause it's, we've had enough of it. Yeah, it's t- it's time for him to go. And I see, even though there's been mumblings amongst the uh, big cheeses within the Liberal Party and the Laurentian elite who really run uh, this country, that they're done with him too because they- they're sick of the bad PR. And mm-hmm. they're now talking about bringing in Mark Carney as a potential replacement, uh, maybe amongst <laughs> others. And Trudeau, like, didn't, didn't a few weeks ago, he announced like he's going to keep running, like he's yeah. not giving up. <laughs> up went down uh yeah i uh you know interesting conversations i've had with with premier or with with uh past premiers and and one of the things that they said when when pierre elliott trudeau entered a room in ottawa there you know he uh there was people that respected him that uh the people were were you know excited to talk to him he's very he was a he was a, a decent leader you know not a lot of people from western canada like pierre elliott trudeau but at least he had respect from the people in, in, in the parliament. When Justin Trudeau walks in a room, he's literally known as the dumbest person in that room. And people don't respect him. No, in the, in the parliament system does. So, In Salah, we will see the end of Mr. Trudeau soon. Um, Mr. Barber, I've taken up over an hour of your time, sir. You've been very generous. Um, well, do you have any parting thoughts? Any uh, Anything to announce about like your upcoming trial? You said it resumes in March. Yeah, so February 13th, 14th, 15th, we'll resume in Ottawa for three days. We'll be looking for another five days after that for more of the defense. And then we'll wait patiently for the decision. And we we, we know even if we're acquitted, the, the Crown's going to just appeal the decision anyway. So we're not getting out of the court system anytime soon. This is something that's going to drag on for many, many years. Uh, anybody that's interested in supporting us, please reach out. Uh, you know, financially, that's where they got us. They'll They'll bury us in legal fees. Um, but we're, we're tough. We'll do whatever we can to keep going here and, and keep fighting. So justice center for constitutional freedoms. If you Google the JCCF or the democracy fund in Canada, you can help out those platforms and, and keep people like Tamara and I and Harold and everybody in the, in, in the courts fighting. Right. Yeah. Because they've got very deep pockets to engage in lawfare against the citizens who've done nothing wrong. hundred percent. All right. Well, Chris, big red barber, how can people find you personally online? Uh, Facebook, uh, 
Chris Barber, Big Red Official, is one of the Facebook pages. Uh, just be careful which one you go to. I've got a lot of left wing like wing nuts out there that hate me, so they created a couple pages to make sure that there's a few followers on whatever account you're following. Um, Big Red nineteen seventy five five on TikTok is one of my main accounts. Of course, it's private right now uh, due to the the civil battles right now and the criminal battles. But uh, request, send me a message request if you want in. I will definitely look at opening that up. Yeah, we're here, Big Red. It's basically the call handle online. So if anybody wants to to follow me, I'd greatly appreciate it. And if anyone's passing through your neck of the woods in Saskatchewan. So if current Saskatchewan is where I'm from, I live on a farm just north of there. So Speedy Creek. Speedy Creek. All right. Mr. Barber, thank you very much, sir. And, Thanks for um, having me, Gord. Yeah, I, uh, I'll do my level best to um, spread the word and help with fundraising. And who knows, maybe I'll even be able to duck up to Ottawa and come see you again. Anybody that wants to buy a hoodie or a sticker of Big Red, Jerome Waldner out of Regina, cartoonized Big Red, uh, really, really beautifully, like down to fine detail. And you can get any of that stuff on bigredmerch.ca. So there's a store there in the menu button and go uh, go check it out. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. And Thanks so much, um, Kurt. way of the road. <laughs>